invite you to take your copy of God's Word and find the Gospel of Mark. Excuse me, Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. I'm delighted to be here. My friends, David and Susanna Brown. He used to call David the mayor of Browntown. <laughs> and uh, I knew them when they were young students and watched them court. I did. And was their pastor back to another generation. Look forward to being here today. Part of your mission's focus here in the month of August. Thank you for inviting me. Would you agree with me in prayer? God, our Father, once again we pause and ask that your Spirit would minister this, your Word, to us this day. Give us eyes to see the truth, ears to hear, and grace and faith to respond in obedience for your glory among the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. Count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Southern Baptist missionaries have given their lives, literally laid down their lives since the turn of the 21st century on the mission fields. There was Martha Myers, a native of Alabama, and her colleagues, William Cohen and Catherine Garrity, who were serving at the Baptist Hospital in Jibla, Yemen, who were gunned down in cold blood. There was Bill Hyde, who was killed in a terrorist attack in the Philippines. Then there was Larry and Jean Elliott and David McConnell and Karen Watson, Southern Baptist missionaries to Iraq, who were killed by a roadside bomb explosion. Karen Watson was a young single lady, had only been a Christian a few years. And uh, before she left for the Middle East, she wrote a letter, sealed it, and gave it to her pastor and said, do not open this unless I don't come home. This is a quote from that more lengthy letter. You should only be opening this letter in the event of death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible. My heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. Obedience was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. Sometimes we hear people say something like, the safest place in all the world is to be in the center of the will of God. Don't you believe it? The will of God may be deadly. It was for those whose names I just called. It's the best place to be, but not necessarily the safest place to be. When Jesus gave the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all the nations, he did not say, go where the food is safe to eat, 
There's plenty of clean, safe drinking water. There's no state department travel advisory, no major conflict, and where you can keep in close contact with family and friends. He just simply said, go. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Now, I fear that we've, uh, for the most part, the American church has uh, neglected that great call of the Lord Jesus to make disciples of all the nations. Perhaps most of you heard the story of Jim Elliot, martyred for his faith in the early 1950s in the jungles of South America, along with his four missionary colleagues. When Jim Elliot was a student in college at age 21, he wrote a letter to his parents. In that letter, he said, quote, We are so utterly ordinary, so commonplace, while we profess to know a power the 20th century does not reckon with. We are harmless and therefore unharmed. We are spiritual pacifists, non-militants, conscientious objectors in this battle to the death with principalities and powers in high places. We are sideliners, coaching and criticizing the real wrestlers while content to sit by and leave the enemies of God unchallenged. The world cannot hate us. We are too much like its own. Oh, that God would make us dangerous. The gospel that Jesus proclaimed during the days of his earthly ministry and the gospel that we say we believe is a dangerous message. Now, it is the only message of salvation, for there is no hope of eternal salvation apart from faith in the finished, atoning, substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. It is a powerful message, but it is a counter-cultural message. And you and I are called to this gospel. And we are called to be a counter-cultural people. We see it throughout the gospels, but uh, perhaps never more starkly or more clearly than in the passage for our consideration this morning. Luke's gospel, chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. I want you to think with me this morning about this subject, the high cost of following Jesus. With our Bibles open to Luke chapter 9, would you follow as I begin reading with verse 57? As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now the context here is Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. 
Still more than half of the Gospel of Luke is yet there in front of us. But we're getting close to the end of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. If you'll look in chapter 9, verse 51, we read, that as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. It was his last time to Jerusalem, and on this visit to Jerusalem, he would be betrayed by Judas, handed over to uh, Pontius Pilate, who would condemn him to the death of crucifixion. And so Jesus is on the way. And on the way, Jesus has an encounter on, on a road. There are three encounters here that we find here in this passage we just read. These, these three encounters teach us three radical realities about what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I must warn you again, this is countercultural and to some degree un-American. So let's Take a look at these three encounters and the truths that God has for us in this passage. The first encounter is given to us in verses 57 and 58. And here we learn, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I must be willing to surrender my comfortable lifestyle. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage to this person. He says you must be willing to surrender your comfortable Lifestyle. Look again in verse 57. As they, that's Jesus and the twelve, there may be others as well, gathered in this traveling party. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, a man comes up to Jesus. He initiates the, the conversation. And this is what he says to Jesus. I will follow you wherever you go. It's every pastor's dream. Just have a member say, I'll just do whatever you want me to do. I'll follow you, pastor, wherever you want me to, to go. And notice Jesus' response. Verse 58. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have their nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Uh, Jesus was saying to this man, you're welcome to follow me. But you need to count the cost. It's not everything you think it's going to be. Perhaps uh, this man had heard of the miracles that Jesus had performed, feeding the 5,000, making the blind to see, the lame to walk, casting out demons. Perhaps this man had, had seen some of those miracles take place, and he wanted to get in on that. And so he says to Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And Jesus said, well, good, but you need to know that while the foxes have holes to go to, uh, and the birds of the air have nests to house in, to roost in. The Son of Man, that's me, Jesus. I, I have no place uh, to lay my head. Dare we say it, at this stage in Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus was homeless. He had no place to lay his head. Now, you know, in fairness, it's, we have to acknowledge that that was not always the case, that Jesus had a roof over his head during the days of his childhood and his adolescence and his young adulthood. As he lived there in Nazareth with Mary and Joseph, the carpenter. But at this stage in Jesus' life, he was without a roof over his head. He, he was uh, supported 
by friends like Mary and Martha and Lazarus, who was often a guest in their home when he didn't have a home. We read in Luke chapter 8, he was supported by Susanna and other well-to-do women who supported him financially. But at this stage, Jesus was homeless. This is not the great American success story. Jesus was dependent upon others to support him. This is not the embodiment of the American dream. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm, I'm as patriotic as you can be. But for many people, the American dream is spelled in one four-letter word, M-O-R-E, more. So whatever I have, I just want more of it, more material possessions. And as my standard of of income grows, I just let my standard of living increase. We can afford it, why not? A generation ago, Francis Schaeffer said of the United States of America and Christians in the United States, their two great goals are personal peace and affluence. And what he meant by that was, I want to have all the stuff I can accumulate and I want to be left alone in peace to enjoy my stuff. And so for many American Christians, their goal is an ever-growing standard of living. A good job with a big salary, increasing benefits, a home in the best neighborhood, a two- or three-car garage, 1.8 kids, an ever-expanding retirement account, and to retire as soon as possible so I can spend out the remainder of my days playing golf or fishing every day. Well, that's one way you can live your life, and unfortunately that's the way a lot of Christians have chosen to live their life. But God has called us to make disciples of all the nations. And if we're not called to go, we are called to send those who have been called to go with our financial resources. Did you know that out of every dollar... It's placed in the offering plates in our evangelical churches, including our Southern Baptist churches. Only about two, maybe two and a half cents goes overseas. We spend 97, 98% of the money that we take in in our Sunday offerings on ourselves and spend just a tiny, tiny fraction, a tiny fraction to give the gospel to those who have never Why do we give so very little? Perhaps it's because we have bought into the American dream of personal peace and financial security. Jesus is saying to this man, you you must be willing to give up your comfortable lifestyle. You must be willing to make some sacrifices if you're going to follow me. And the question all of us need to ask ourselves from time to time is this. Am I willing to surrender my comfortable lifestyle? And to what degree? Now, like you, I'm grateful uh, to live in a a place where I have a roof over my head and took a hot shower early this morning and and uh, have clean drinking water. But you, you can do without those things if God calls and still find peace and joy and contentment in your life. Maybe 20 or so years ago, I was in uh, 
Brackenhurst, Kenya. There's a conference center there where the Southern Baptist missionaries for Kenya had gathered for their annual retreat. And we had taken a mission team there and some of our Lakeview Baptist Church members from Auburn were teaching the children in Bible school and then I was to teach the Bible to the missionaries. I would teach them every morning and then late afternoon I would teach them. And on the last day, after I'd been teaching them for a week, twice a day, I, I said to the missionaries gathered there, I said, now, you've been listening to me all week. I said, I want to listen to you. And I, I tried to, you know, get to know them at the, at the meal times. But I, just, I sat on the edge of the platform and I said, uh, if you're willing to, just tell me, stand up and tell me who you are and what part of the country you serve in and tell me a little bit about your work. And uh, a young a young mother named Leah stood. She said, my husband, Alan, and I, we're from Michigan. We had a pizza restaurant when God called us to Kenya. She said, we live in the far north of the country, just up uh, in, the, in the arid desert part of the country, very desolate very isolated. She says, for electricity, we have a diesel generator that gives us a few hours of electricity at night. She said, for a bathroom, we have a squatty potty. If you've been on a mission in developing world, you know what a squatty potty is. It's a well, similar to an outhouse. She said, we have no running water in our home. She said, it's, it's really, really Challenging. They have two small kids. But she said, we're here in the will of God, and we love what we're doing, and we find such joy in what we're doing. She said, I can't find the words to describe how content we are to be where we are, where God has put us. She said, maybe this will help. She said, I really like to eat peanut butter cookies. But she said, more than peanut butter cookies, she said, I, I, I like to eat ice cream, but more than ice cream, I... I'd rather have a brownie, a chocolate brownie, but more than a peanut butter cookie or an ice cream or a chocolate brownie, I really, really love a banana split. And then she said, as hard as it is here, it's like having a banana split every day because she's in the will of God. Paul said to the Romans, the will of God is good and pleasing and perfect. And you and I don't need to fear that God might uproot us from this comfortable lifestyle that we have here in the United States and plant us in some difficult part of the world if it's His will. Because if it's His will, we will relish the will of God as hard as it may be. And so the question that comes to us is are we willing to surrender our comfortable lifestyle? Now, it's highly unlikely that all of you are going to be called to go to a hard place in the world. It may be that none of you will be called to go for a lifetime to a hard place like that I just described. Then the question becomes, are you willing to live on less here so that others who have been called to go will go? Did you know that the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering which is the offering that Southern Baptist churches take up at Christmas time. This 
have undergird the work of our our Southern Baptist missionaries around the world. About $170 million a year now. Did you know that's the largest single, every year, the largest single missionary offering in the history of the Christian church? Going back 2,000 years. So, uh, you know, we, we can take great pleasure in the fact that as Southern Baptists, we're, we're, we're delivering the largest missionary offering ever. But if you do the math and you divide about 14 million Southern Baptists into 170 million dollars, that's a little over, well, it's about two happy meals per Baptist per year to win the world of Jesus. That's about what it boils down to. We're, we're, we're playing games. David mentioned in the introduction, I didn't know you'd remember something like that, but I've asked our people for years to prayerfully consider giving at least a week's salary to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering every year. Now, if God doesn't lead you to do that, don't worry about that. Do what God tells you to do. Some of our people give a lot more than a week's salary. I mean, you come to the place where your bills are paid, your mortgage is paid, your kids are grown and gone. How much do you need to sort away in the bank? And you can be laying up treasures in heaven and fueling this great missionary enterprise to get the gospel to those who have never heard. There was a lady now with the Lord who was a charter member of Lakeview Baptist Church. Rosalie Pate was her name. She had a great missionary heart. She never had much. She and Mr. Pate lived minimum wage, I'm sure. He was he was, dropped out of high school and went to work in the sawmill and I doubt if I mean they just lived from paycheck to paycheck. And Mr. Pate died and so her social security check was reduced somewhat. And uh, some of the ladies in Mrs. Pate's Sunday school class were concerned that she wasn't eating well because she didn't have enough on her social security check to Buy sufficient groceries. So they took a little offering up without telling her. And the teacher of the class came to me and she said, Brother Al, she said, uh, she told me that story. She said, we want you to give Miss Pate this, this one $100 bill. Handed it to me. And said, uh, don't, don't tell her where it came from. And if she asks, just tell her it's from an angel. I said, okay, I'll, I'll give it to her. So the following Sunday, I stuck it in my coat pocket. I went out for early service. And uh, Miss Pate always sat center section front row. And I, I, I reached across the, the front pew to Miss Pate, and I, I handed her that $100 bill. And I said, Miss Pate, an angel wants, wanted me to give this money to you, this, this $100 bill. I want you to have this. And it was in December. And so we had just begun to take up the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Miss Spate took it, she gave it back to me, and she said, Brother Al, do you think that angel would mind if we gave this to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering? I said, Miss Spate, I think that angel would be happy. Well, they wouldn't have been happy. They'd have been mad if they knew that. Because <laughs> they didn't have the heart for the nations that Miss Spate had. God took care of Miss Spate. But I was not going to keep her from doing something which was probably the most significant financial gift she ever got to make, the missions offering in her life. I was not going to deny her that privilege. God help us to go 
to the hard places if he calls and to give sacrificially if he doesn't call for those who have been called to go. Well, there's a second encounter here, verses 59 and 60. Not only should you and I be willing to surrender our comfortable lifestyle as the Spirit of God directs, but number two, we must be willing to yield our personal plans. Are you willing to yield your personal plans? That's what Jesus is teaching here in verse 59. Look in verse 59. He, Jesus, said to another man, follow me. This time the initiative comes from Jesus. And the man replied to Jesus, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. On the surface, it appears to be a very legitimate request. But notice Jesus' countercultural response. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, how cruel was that? Maybe Jesus needed to enroll in Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. How to be a little kinder. Well, we wouldn't dare say that, would we? No. What's Jesus saying here? This man saying to me, Go bury my father. And Jesus said, Let the dead bury their own dead. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, had the man's father just died? Well, we don't know. New Testament scholars are... Uh, not of one mind about that. Some would say, uh, his father hadn't just died. If his father had just died, he wouldn't have been on the road to encounter Jesus. So he was just saying, my father is up in years. He doesn't have much longer to live, maybe a few more months or years. And once my father's passed from this life, I'll come follow you. Or maybe he really had died. You know, when you try to read between the lines, you need to be careful to not be too dogmatic here. But nevertheless, the point is, Jesus said, you need to be willing to yield your personal plans. He wanted to bury his father, maybe then or maybe a few years from then. And Jesus said, no, you got to let the dead bury their own dead. You need to go now and proclaim the kingdom of God. If we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to pay the high price of yielding our personal plans. Now, you all have personal plans for the future. I have personal plans. I've had plans for my life, my entire life. And, uh, but we need to let Jesus reroute our plans according to his Will. In other words, we need to be willing to go anywhere he sends us. I finished uh, Sanford University in December 1970. That's 50 plus years ago. I was a ministerial student and uh, called to be a pastor, I felt. And I went with a, a Presbyterian pastor friend in the last week of December 1970 to the campus of the University of Illinois to the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship Urbana 70 Missions Conference. There were about 17,000 primarily college students gathered that last week. 
and we listened to wonderful missionaries and speakers uh, all day into the night. The last service, December 31, 1970, at the concluding of this conference, a call was issued. If you're willing to say to God, I will go anywhere in the world you send me, would you stand? And they couldn't ask us to come forward because in this basketball arena, all the seats were taken up in the arena and all the, all the floors filled with, with chairs on the floor, people there. But if you're willing to go anywhere in the world, you put no geographical limitations on your service for Christ, would you stand? I'd been a Christian since I was 10. I'd been a ministerial student for the past three years. I'd been in a Baptist school for three of those years, those three years, and not once, to my memory, had I ever been confronted with the possibility that God might want me to serve Him somewhere other than the United States of America. And I counted the costs, and I stood that night, and I said to the Lord, I'll go anywhere you send me. I'll serve here. I'll serve anywhere in the world you want me to go. And the province of God, God designed in eternity past that I would be pastor in Auburn, Alabama for 42 years at Lakeview Baptist Church. That's God's plan for my life. God has a plan for your life. As I said earlier, God's plan, according to what Paul told the Roman Christians, God's will is good, good for you. Better for you, infinitely better for you than anything you could ever design for yourself. And pleasing, it's pleasing for you. And it's perfect for you. But it's not necessarily safe. It wasn't safe for those eight martyrs that I named at all. But there's a world that sits in darkness. 1.6, perhaps 1.7 Muslims lost. About 1 billion Hindus. Almost 500 million Buddhists. Over a billion Chinese. Without the gospel, without the hope of eternal life and salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus gave us our mandate, go and make disciples of these nations. Proclaim the good news that a Savior has come, who is Jesus Christ the Lord. It may be that God is calling you, somebody you. To go to the Muslim world, to the Buddhist world, to the Hindu world, to the the world of the tribals, to the Chinese world, to secular Europe. They mean changing your personal plans, your career plans. Well, if Jesus is the Lord, you'll go. In fact, did you know you can't say, no, Lord? You're thinking, well, you just, you just put those two words together. You just said, no, no, L-O-R-D, Lord. You can articulate them, you can verbalize them, but if Jesus is Lord, the only thing you can say is yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, I'll stay right here in Alabama if that's what you have for me. But 
Lord, I'll go anywhere in the country or anywhere in the world that you send me. I believe there are many that God has chosen to go to the nations who've disobeyed the call of God to go. We suffer the consequences for it. Brother Andrew, uh, still alive at probably 94 or 5 years of age now, living in the Netherlands. He was the founder of Open Doors. He was God's smuggler, smuggling Bibles behind the Iron Curtain 60, 70 years ago. Some years ago, maybe 30 years ago now, he penned these words. We must reach out to as many Muslims and Arab groups as possible while they are still reachable. Because anyone who is reachable is also winnable. But unless we go to them now in love and influence them in a Christian direction, the ongoing cycle of violence and revenge will force them to take hardline extremist positions. And then they will come to us, the Christian West, in judgment. Those are haunting words. I wonder sometimes how different our world would be today if 40 years ago some, some Christian in the United States heard the call of God to go to Saudi Arabia And when told you can't get a missionary visa into Saudi Arabia, he found another way in. You know, we have missionaries in a lot of places now we we didn't used to go. And it's just, instead of being told, well, you can't get a visa in there, he just found a way in. And he made his way to a particular city, and there was a young teenage boy there by the name of Osama bin Laden. And in the province of God, he encountered him, shared the gospel with him, led him to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. How different the history of the 21st century might be. We don't know. That's just speculation. We have the message of hope. We have the message of forgiveness. We have the message of peace. And the way to... Have peace is to turn our enemies into our brothers and sisters in Christ. You kill one terrorist, ten more will rise up. But a terrorist who comes to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will quit his terror. And it's taking place in the Middle East today. But it's not going to happen unless you and I are willing to yield our personal plans, whatever that might be. So we're talking about the high cost of following Jesus. And I've said to you that we must be willing to surrender our comfortable lifestyle, be willing to yield my personal plans. But number three, look in verses 61 and 62. There, I want to suggest we learn to be willing to follow faithfully to the finish. Verse 61, still another said, to Jesus. I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. We, we must move with dispatch. Delayed obedience is disobedience. If God has called you to go, 
then move toward the, the place of service that God has called you to go to. We must follow faithfully to the finish. Like Dr. Martha Myers, the surgeon who was brutally murdered 20, in uh, Yemen. She had served 25 years there. There was very little harvest there. But God had called her to go there. And on her last stateside assignment, there were well-meaning friends who said to her, Martha, don't go back. You've given a quarter of a century of your life. And she said, God's not finished with me yet. She laid down her life for the gospel. Now, most of us, maybe none of us, will ever be called to lay our life down for the gospel. But those who go as missionaries, they pay a price. There's separation from family and close friends. There's the expectation of contracting diseases, especially in the tropical climates. So many of the missionaries out of the church I served for 42 years have had malaria multiple times. It's just expected if you go to this part of the world, you're going to get malaria. There's the the heat from tropical climate, there are venomous snakes and insects. These are the giants in the Christian faith. Not these hotshot, fancy, fancy British preachers on TV. Send me your money and I'll send you a cloth I prayed over. God have mercy on them. The giants, we don't know who they are for the most part. But I've met a lot of them in my travels. Some years ago, I was in Malaysia for nine days. I've been invited to teach the Bible to our Southern Baptist missionaries from a number of uh, Southeast Asian countries. And... At the, at the meal times, morning, noon, and evening, I would go from table to table, just get to know a different missionary family. Didn't have time to get around to all of them, but tried to meet as many as I could and hear their story. There I met Tom and Gloria Thurman, among others. The Thurmans were 30 plus years in Bangladesh, East Pakistan, later became Bangladesh. They were on their last term of service before they retired to come back to Mississippi. And uh, a year or so later, they retired and they sent out their final, their final newsletter. And uh, they wrote, after 34 years of service, these have been years filled with much joy. We have known the presence of our blessed Savior, and we thank him for his grace. We have nothing but gratitude and can only say, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise. There have been circumstances that we would not have chosen. Earthquake tremors. Leprosy. Uh, Gloria contracted leprosy. It's not just a Bible disease. God healed her. Three robberies, four broken bones, 291 countrywide strikes, 186 flat tires, frequent electricity failure, struggle with difficult language, floods, 
cyclones, convulsions, one stabbing, famines, tidal waves, drought. John 10.4 is so true. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. We are finished, but the task, excuse me, we are leaving, but the task is not finished. We came because of the lost millions of this land. We keep wondering who will come to take our place. Into whose hand shall we place our missionary Bibles? Where are the youth whom God is calling to give their lives in service for preaching the gospel? Who will come to this land to search for the lost sheep? We thank God that one day he tapped us on the shoulder and said, I have a place of service for you. We walked with him, and our joy has been full. On the last day of my time with those missionaries there, after I'd preached for the final time, one of those senior missionaries stood before that group of missionaries from across Southeast Asia South Asia and gave a, an opportunity to recommit yourself to the call of God and ask those who are willing to do that just to come forward and stand around the platform. Everybody, everybody there came forward. Every veteran missionary, every mid-life career missionary, every rookie missionary just on the field. I stood off on the side and they began to sing take up thy cross and follow me I heard my master say I gave my life to ransom thee surrender your all today wherever he leads I'll go wherever he leads I'll go I'll follow my Christ who loves me so wherever he leads I'll go they continued he drew me closer to his side I sought his will to know And in that will, I now abide. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. And he sang the third verse. It may be through the shadows dim or o'er the stormy sea. I'll take my cross and follow him wherever he leadeth me. And I stood off to the side with tears streaming down my face. And I thought, dear God, that's just a song we sing after the sermon back in America before we go to the cafeteria. These men and women and their sons and daughters have crossed that stormy sea. It's not just words for them. It is reality. Are you willing to go wherever God leads you? Are you willing to stay right here in Birmingham if that's what God has for you? Are you willing to uproot your family? Go to the jungles or the mountain steeps or the vast cities and have little gospel witness? If God leads, can you say, 
As those missionaries said, wherever he leads, I'll go. Sing that chorus with me, will you? Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. God our Father, may it be true, not just words that we just sang, but may it be said of every man, woman, boy, or girl in this worship hour, I will follow you wherever you lead. For the glory of King Jesus among all the peoples of the earth. In your name, Jesus. Amen.